0: Ben just led for us in a reading out of Mark chapter 7. Do you suppose that when these Pharisees came together and were talking to Jesus about the disciples that they did not wash, do you suppose that when Jesus spoke to them, that He was talking about these traditions from a standpoint that they didn't want to keep the commandments of God? Because I honestly believe that many of the Pharisees, in their minds... Wanted to keep the commandments of God. And were so meticulous that for the last 400 years. Going down from before uh, the Hasmoneans or during that time when, when the parties began to separate. You had individuals that were wanting to ensure that the commandments of God would be kept. And over the course of those centuries then. Some of the quote unquote traditions that they handed down began to be viewed upon as if they were, in fact, the commandments of God. So that they could actually say to Jesus, you know, well, why aren't your disciples holding to these traditions? I mean, this is to keep us from sinning against God. And the thing today that happens is that we may actually be guilty of making up these kinds of, quote unquote, man-made laws and not even know it because, well, we've always had them. Brethren, many of the things that I believe that we do, we do for the very sake, through wisdom, for edification, and for various logical reasons. I'm going to give you as an illustration before we actually look at these things, only because it's taken place today. But I want you to think about this. I've heard it ever since I obeyed the gospel. And I've only found one passage that deals with it, and contextually I don't see it the way it's been presented Church membership, we had three families that joined themselves to the work here today. Is that a law or command, a commandment or tradition? I'll tell you, there are brethren that believe it's, it's law. And I've had one of the brethren say, Mitch, I want you to go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, because in that passage, Paul tried to join himself to the brethren in Jerusalem. I said, is that all you have? <laughs> Because they were afraid of Paul. He tried joining himself to them, not as a means of having a church membership. But over the years, it has been viewed that way by some brethren, that if you're not under a church membership, you are sinning against God. I've seen it in some of the articles written and some of the statements made. But you see, those are kind of things that when I look at the traditions that we have, I think they're wonderful. It's wonderful that you have brethren associated with a congregation so that you can have that fellowship in a very practical way that our minds are comforted with knowing that we are with one another and can share in the work of the Lord together and what have you. But I'll ask you this. Is it in God's word as a command or a law or even as a statement that by virtue of that statement needs to be one? So those are the things that we're looking at this morning and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to make enemies this morning. I may even make a few friends. But, you know, it's when when we get into meteor lessons that that becomes difficult for us. And, of course, I, I share this with you with great love and, and tenderness. But I want you to know we all stand before the Lord and the Lord wants us to know that we follow according to his will. Just the way Jesus exposed these Pharisees. And so. The timing of this, as my intention was to have given this last week, was from the standpoint that, number one, we are looking at various faiths professing Christianity. And it's good that we do that for, for a number of reasons. Brethren, it's also good that we look inward, that we look at ourselves as a body of believers. I believe it's helpful for us because when we do that, Hopefully we get to open our eyes a little bit brighter, a little bit more peripheral than we normally do. And the reason why I share this, I remember giving a lesson similar to this a few years ago. And one of the elders after the sermon said, Mitch, I don't know. I'm not so sure because I was talking about traditions within the church. He called me back about two weeks later and said, those are some things that we do as, as traditions. And I just never saw it that way. And so I I share some of those things, not all of them, but some of those things this morning. I want us to to notice them. For instance, is it against the law for a Christian to marry a non-Christian? Because you have some brethren that say it is sinful for a Christian to marry a non-Christian and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read verse 39 following. And then there are other brethren saying, well, I don't believe that's what Paul was dealing with from that standpoint. And the debate goes on. How about... Christians holding a political office. I have been told explicitly that it is sinful for a Christian to hold a political office because you're going to be put in compromised situations and you're going to have to, as a result of those compromised situations, sin against God. So it's sinful. How about. As I look at my brother here, who has spoken this morning, joining the police or the military. There are brethren that have made it clear to me that it is sinful to join the police or military. Is it against the law? How about wearing jeans to services? We might, in this year, 2011, not think so much today, but go back about 20, 30, 40 years ago. You wouldn't have as many smiles as I see right now. How about... Wearing shorts. Soon after I obeyed the gospel, well, the day I obeyed the gospel, wonderful brethren that I dearly love, believed it to be sinful to wear shorts. So, being a brand new baby in Christ, that day, the day I obeyed the gospel, I gave my shorts to my roommate. And so, there goes. And they also believe you wear your pants down and not above your ankles. That was their belief. So you have that. Is that against the law to wear shorts? Oh, no, I'll go on to something else. How about eating inside the church building? Because there is a teaching with regard to the fellowship hall and what have you. And so some get to the point to make sure that we're not going to be having this social gospel that eating under any circumstance is going to be wrong. But you've got that spectrum in between, well, for for diabetics or for um, medical necessity, maybe along those lines. But what about those who are? Coming here and working all day long. We have brethren throughout the week working here. Is that wrong? Is it against the law? How about serving communion a second time? A quote unquote second serving? That's hotly debated by some brethren. Some brethren to quash that, the issue will say, well, let's just have one service. <laughs> I don't know if that's the full reason here. <laughs> but that is an issue among a number of brethren. So we've got the second serving. Or how about... Excuse me, I meant to have the other one. Wearing jeans, I got that one already. Excuse me. We've got a number of them. In fact, I had a long list, much longer than what I shared with you. But I want you to stop and think about this. When it comes to those kinds of questions, I bet if I were to get even a broader uh, number of brothers and sisters in Christ, all the way from the, the no classroom, one cup, brethren... All the way to our institutional brethren. What do you suppose the answers would be on every one of those questions? You're going to always have those that say yes. It's against the law. It's, it's sin. And those that say no it's not. On every one of those issues. Would that be a fair statement to say? I believe it would. The reason why I know is. I've read hundreds of articles. I've heard numerous sermons. I've been in a number of Bible studies and Bible classes. Where that is the case. It is debated. And. It's just within one congregation, let alone a wider spectrum. And so all these things um, are issues that we've debated and we're going to continue, I believe, in my opinion, until the Lord comes. And that's despite the fact that the Lord prayed for unity. And maybe there's a, a different way we need to look at John 17 in, in what is very typical for a number of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. But the thing is, when, when it comes to Bible authority, the question is, you know, we need to know the difference between laws and opinions. And everyone agrees to that. And we even agree to a quote-unquote methodology of Bible interpretation. We call it hermeneutics. And within the body that we associate with, we have our commands. We've got our examples, or we, we, we call them apostolically approved examples, or statements, or necessary inferences or necessary implications, as given in Scripture, and deal with the subject matter of silence. And I want you to know that, that there are wonderful principles within God's Word. The fact of the matter is, brethren, we don't always apply it the same way. When I say we, I'm not talking about us looking at the same issue as individuals. Individually, an individual might be inconsistent in applying these things. And I believe it's important that we understand these things when we get to the heart of what is a commandment. What is the law, if you will? What do the Scriptures say about a given issue Versus opinions that we have that we take and over the course of time make it into laws. Or as the Pharisees had done, make fence laws out of them. And so we know what laws are. We know what opinions are. What is a law? Basically a creed. Written or unwritten. Whether it's a verbal charge, a creed. Whatever it is. Ordinance. Whatever you want to call. Statute. It has binding authority. So that either we do it or we transgress the law. We fail to, to walk in the truth of that, whatever that law is. Opinions, then, are simply this. Interpretations regarding statements or, in the case of our study this morning, interpretations about the law. So that when we get into the application, somehow we agree about the law, go like this, and when it comes to application, we somehow have differences. That happens in this congregation. Before I came here, it's going to happen long after, depending on when the Lord comes, after I leave. It's going to happen. It's happened for 2,000 years. And so the question is, when we look at these, these things, why? Why are there so many numerous of opinions that are presented as if they are laws? Jesus dealt with them. I mean, one of my, that is the most funny to me today, but it was not funny to to the Jews. Is a reading that I had of where the Jews would go ahead and, and send the, that high priest into the temple once again on the Day of Atonement with a rope. Make sure that he would come out alive. Their their views would modify the way they would look at the will of God. And so, you know, we ask those questions. Why? And here, I think here's where the rub takes place. As Christians, sometimes when we get brought up with the same kind of hermeneutics and with the methodology of hermeneutics that we have, we still come, whether it's as an individual or as individuals looking at the same thing, to different conclusions. I believe that will always happen, unfortunately, in some ways, and fortunately in other ways. Fortunately, from the standpoint that that we have different minds coming together with all kinds of years, five decades of preaching from some brethren, five decades from another brother, and they come together and they still have these differences. That makes it difficult for us then. And that's why we have the mindset among some in various denominations to say, well, that's why you have the hierarchy and you have people that, who are smarter who know the original language, know the culture of the original language, have the historical background, and they can get into, like linguists, into that language in such detail that they know. Brethren, I don't think that's what the Lord meant when He said He's he's not the author of confusion. I believe He has His Word for us. That while we may struggle through some questions, and while there are things that are difficult for us when we read them, It's not supposed to be rocket science, and I don't believe it is. So why the difficulty? Why the different applications? You know, isn't it that that we have individuals who love the Lord, they love His Word, and they love His commandments, still having different applications of what they believe to be true? Why is there such difficulty? Well, I'm going to use this because this is a sticky subject matter. I'll use modesty as an issue. If you go to first Timothy chapter nine, you read verses nine and ten and you read of of the, the mindset men praying to God and how their their humility with the prayers that they have for their leaders and what have you. And then he goes on talking about women. And I want us to look at the text here in first Timothy chapter two and use this as an illustration of where we can kind of look at the law and, and compare and contrast that to opinions that are made. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says here, beginning in verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Clothe yourselves modestly, as some translations would have, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So what we have here is a very explicit statement. I want women... To adorn themselves in modest apparel. So, I want your clothing to be modest. But I want that clothing to be backed up with a heart of humility. A heart of modesty. A heart which is discreet. Would everyone agree that we should be modest? Because I'll tell you right now, in the Davis household... Of course, you always get the challenge when your kids are growing, right? They outgrow it and then you got high water pants and everything's growing. But the rule is right here for, for the Davis Nation. Right there. And sometimes when you sit up, it comes above it and, and so on and so forth. But that's the rule that I have in my house. And my rule is law in my house. And the girls, they have to go buy new clothes a lot of times because of their growth and what have you. the boys, as they're growing. We agree that we want our children to be modest because here is God's will to be modest. When it comes to the exegesis of this text, when we break it down and try to understand and try to have some sense of where the lines are. Well, that's where you get into discussions and debates and what have you. I want to look at the principle and we'll get back to the modesty. For instance, when we look at passages like Galatians chapter five, look at the text there in verses 19 through 23. You've got those who live by way of the works of the flesh. Among them, adultery, you know, you've got fornication, you've got drunkenness. Go, the list goes on. And then he goes on and, and says that those who practice such things will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not a command. But I'll tell you right now, it's as if it were. I mean,. If you can make a statement of fact that says you practice these things, this is your lifestyle, you're not going to heaven. I will teach that as if it is the law, because it's as solid as law, even if it's not in what we call an imperative, if it's not a charge. When you live this way, you live contrary to the way the Lord lived. It is contrary to the fruit of the spirit that are following along in the next couple of verses. So when we look at these passages, we affirm these truths and teach them as if they are laws. And we have authority for such. Look at Galatians chapter six, however, just just a few verses later. Notice what he says, And and here he uses you could look at Galatians six, verse two, um, James one, verse twenty five, Romans chapter eight, verse two, on and on. There's a number of them that deal with. The law of Christ or the royal law of liberty or something along those lines where the word law is used. Look at what it says here very explicitly. Galatians 6 says, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's in an imperative form. When he wrote to the saints in the region in Galatia, he says, here's the law. You bear one another's burdens. When you bear each other's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. And that's that's a charge. But we never think about it along those lines. We think along other issues and and laws that we have. Thou shalt not go past 55 miles per hour on the interstate when the sign says speed limit 55. (laughs) Those are creeds, they're statutes, they're ordinances, they're regulations. We have them for us. Those are the kind of laws that we're saying, and here's a law given, bear each other's burdens. That's what we should be doing for one another. But what about the whole idea of creating laws where we don't think we're creating them? Stop and think about that. We'll get to a subject matter. And within that subject matter, we find all the passages about it because we use our our rules of hermeneutics where we have those commands and statements and examples and inferences. We look at those things and we we take the totality of all those passages and here's the law. Stop and think about in your mind those things that are binding based upon all that we have on a given passage versus passages that may be very explicit as a charge, like go into the world and preach the gospel. Very clear, very explicit. Brethren, by the way, do we have work on that? Charge, you better believe we do. But we'll take other things less explicit, in fact, very implicit at best. And we make laws out of them, even without noticing that we've done so. So we take those um, passages, we note those statements, we take principles from those things, from those passages. And based upon all those principles we come up to the conclusion that says, here is truth. And you fail to, to accept this and practice this, then you're lost. And it's based upon all those passages. Now, getting back to the illustration, I want to go back to the one on modesty, because again, this is one that brethren have debated for decades. And it's not going to end with this sermon, I understand that. But when it comes to... This concept of creating laws. I'll share this with you. This is my mindset because of how I was raised when I obeyed the gospel. Remember, mind you, I was with the mindset I had been taught, even if I didn't agree with that necessarily, I agree with the principle of what was being taught, that you have your pants down to your ankles. That you did not wear shorts. And so what I did was I started looking at all the Bible passages because I was taught by a brother in Oklahoma on Bible authority. And here's how you establish it. And so we went through these various passages. And when it came to modesty, I decided, well, let's look up the word naked. Because now we can know what determines nakedness. And if we can find out where that line is, that would be the principle by which we apply and bind upon one another. All right. Go to Genesis chapter 3. I want you to look at the text here. This is just as, as an illustration from an academic hermeneutical standpoint that you can apply to various other subject matters. And I don't know if we'll ever get the answers to every one of these kinds of things uh, consistently with everyone in this building, let alone just in your own family. But stop and think about it. Genesis chapter 3, remember? After they partook of the fruit, it says in verse 7 that the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened. They knew that they were naked. Okay, so now is our first use of nakedness. So they knew they were naked. Whatever lack of clothing that they had, which was everything, they knew they were naked. And they wanted to take care of that because they were ashamed of their nakedness. So they get leaves. And the scriptures say over here, made themselves covering from those fig leaves. Now, the pictures that you get, right, in the books and what have you, show it just over the, the private area of the, of the body for the men and the women. Well, that probably is, is the situation and probably is the case. But whatever the case was, what they did, God did not see as sufficient. Would you agree? Because look at verse 21. Verse 21, it says that God took animal skin and with that skin made tunics and clothed them. So here's what I did. I studied up on the word tunic. And what they did was they took this animal, and with the skin would have one hole here, two holes here, and one hole down here. And typically it was at the knees, and typically at the shoulders, and around the neck. Whatever Adam and Eve did, God did better. I didn't look at it from a standpoint from a From a standpoint that fig leaves just didn't have durability issues. I just look at it from a modesty standpoint. Because that was the study. And whatever I saw that they did. It was not sufficient. But what God did was. And so where's the line? Well the line is from a book. Like a lexicon. Like a Bible dictionary. And that book said generally. The tunics were down over here at the knees. And over here at the shoulders. And so that was. Mitch Davis's rule, at least as we go on from here. And then we go on to other passages. For instance, go on to Exodus chapter 28. And then you get more information. We can go on to others like Isaiah, Jeremiah, go into some of the minor prophets, but just, this should be sufficient for, for illustration purposes. Exodus chapter 28, beginning in verse 41, regarding the priestly garments. Okay, So what the priest would do is, you know, they would have to make their sacrifices and they would have to go up the steps of the bronze altar when they're offering their sacrifice. And he says with regard to their garments as it pertained to these sacrifices and their responsibilities. So you shall put them on, these garments, these priestly garments, on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover Their nakedness. They got linen trousers. It says they shall reach from the waist to the thigh. So what what does that mean? Because when I think of thigh, I think of around here. What I saw in the Bible dictionaries were the thighs would go all the way down to the kneecap area. So as not to expose the thigh. And so that further confirmed that quality of the definition of a tunic. That it was typically at the kneecaps. And so, bottom line is, looking at all these and looking at other passages where certain parts of the body was exposed and referred to as naked. I came to the conclusion, and I taught it as law. If you wear anything below your knees, you're in sin. Because that's what I read in Scripture. And I was willing to go to my grave with that teaching to the Lord. Interestingly enough, as the years progressed and as I thought about some of these things. Other brethren would come to the same conclusion. And then there were still others that says, wait a second. You came to a point with regard to that. From these scriptures. Because I don't see that Mitch. I'm like, oh, and if you just study your Bible like me, you would get it. If you love the Lord the way I love the Lord, you'd understand it. Well, by the way, that is my view still. (laughs) But here's the problem. We just use the Old Testament. And I've heard ever since I was a young babe in Christ. While it's okay to use the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not our authority to bind laws. But that's what we did. The reason why we went to the Old Testament is you're not going to read New Testament. The closest you get is Revelation. The book of Revelation, I believe, in chapter 16, that uses the word nakedness and uses the word shame. But not in any sense that we would use to bind our clothing limitations or where the lines are. I did not find another passage along those lines that says, here's what we have, New Testament-wise, While we use the New Testament to find out what constitutes nakedness, while we use the Old Testament for that matter, we we take that principle and we apply it to a New Testament passage that says, okay, God says, you know, to dress modestly through Paul. And we can know what God's view of nakedness is by virtue of these Old Testament passages. What if we were to use the same application with regard to instrumental music? What if we were to go to the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 25, David, after at least 400 years, when the tabernacle had been set up, where there were no revelation of Scripture that showed there were instruments being used to worship God. When David had that temple dedicated, he commanded that there be individuals, prophets, who would use the lyre and who would use the harps, among other instruments, and they would worship God. And in Second Chronicles, it refers back to centuries before to David's commandments about that. Would we ever do such a thing? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't use it when it comes to this subject matter. But we have with regard to modesty or immodesty. Now, what if we were to look at another issue? And this is just as As we're talking about these things, and we can go on for many things, but hopefully this gives us enough so that we look at consistency in our methodology of what we call interpretation. Should we, in the name of that consistency, accept the charge of Romans 16? And if you look at all the ending of the letters, not all of them, but much of the letters that Paul wrote, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Brethren, do we practice that today? We don't. We might practice the principle as we shake each other's hands, give hugs, and some of us give each other kisses. But that's not something that we would ever bind upon one another, even though it's... If we want to look at it from a standpoint of a charge given, it is a charge given. It's in an imperative format, Greet, even though it's not meant that way. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When we look at the command, there was an imperative in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Verse 2, each day, each first day of the week, you lay many aside. And so what we say is, there's our command. It was given to the Corinthians, and that's the pattern that we have for us. So why would we say yes to one and no to the other? And the only explanation given to me over the course of time has been, one is dealing with corporate worship, and the other is not. And I so, said, but where do you get the corporate worship rule from? No answer. It's just what it is. Corporate, that's the answer. When we get into worship, these are laws. When it's outside of worship, not so much laws, unless it's modesty. And I got to thinking, where, where's the consistency, my brothers and my sisters in Christ? Where is that? So what I'm saying is, brethren, what we need to do is we need to be careful. I'm not saying that you cannot have these traditions and laws. We have them in our, in our home. We have it as a congregation here. There's congregations that you can go other places. They're going to have the Lord's Supper at a different time because that's the way it's supposed to be. I, I, this is no doubt what happened. I remember first year I was preaching the gospel, and I got the steps of salvation in the wrong order, and I all raked over the coals, brethren. You, you have to get the confession, repentance in that right order, otherwise you're lost, Mitch. And I, I and I was. Thinking about that from a standpoint that that's where we've come in many instances and we don't recognize that. We need to be diligent, brethren, to study. We need to be diligent to, to discern God's word, understood. We need to love the Lord with all our heart, soul and mind. And that includes the application of serving Him. But it's too easy for us. And while we look at everyone else in the world and point our fingers at what they're doing that's wrong, and brethren, that's not wrong to do that. If we judge with sound judgment, Matthew chapter 7, that's good and proper. But we've got to do the same thing about us. About what we do. And I'm hoping to challenge you that you do that with every aspect of God's Word. And to recognize the distinction between laws via the charges that are given and the commands within those contexts and the opinions that we can turn up and eventually create as if they are, in fact, the commandments of God. Brethren, it happened centuries before Christ. It happened during the days of Christ. Brethren, it's happening today. There's not any special difference with us today that we are smarter than our forefathers. So be diligent.